Welcome to WFUV's What's What, a daily podcast that explores current events, culture, news, and hot topic issues in the New York metropolitan area. It also has features and interviews exclusively from WFUV. I'm Robin Shannon. It's Monday, June 20th, and today we have a special Juneteenth-focused What's What. Officially, Juneteenth commemorates June 19, 1865. That's when a Union general arrived in Galveston, Texas, to tell enslaved African Americans that the Civil War was over and they were free. Juneteenth, also known as Freedom Day, Jubilee Day, Liberation Day, and Emancipation Day, is a time to appreciate and celebrate Black culture, while acknowledging the historic struggles of African Americans. Coming up on What's What, we'll hear how a park in the Bronx commemorates this day. We'll examine why proper media representation is important for people of color. And we'll visit a cafe that's recreating the close-knit communities established by newly freed people. But first, the news. Juneteenth is a federal holiday in the U.S., but not every state employee gets a paid day off. That's about to change in Connecticut. WFUV's Taylor Massetta has the story. Juneteenth is now a paid day off for state workers in Connecticut. It follows a vote by lawmakers. When Governor Lamont officially signed the bill, he said that Connecticut is playing a role in bringing people together. So for me, I'm proud to celebrate Juneteenth as a holiday, and I'm more proud to make sure it's a learning day. We remember that every day in this country, we strive to form a more perfect union. Representative Anthony Nolan pushed for its passage and says that this law is just one step towards racial equality in Connecticut. That we need to even do more, especially with the inequality that we have with our education and with our health care. It goes into effect in October. Then the state of Connecticut will officially begin to celebrate Juneteenth in 2023. I'm Taylor Massetta, WFUV News. I'm Robin Shannon, and this is a special Juneteenth-focused What's What. After Juneteenth, former slaves built affluent communities all across the country, and one entrepreneur hopes to recreate these, starting with her cafe. WFEV's Christina Lulich heads to the South Bronx to talk with the co-owner about her mission. When walking to the Boogie Down Grind Cafe, you immediately notice the graffiti art adorning the outside of the shop. As you enter, you're bombarded with pictures of hip-hop artists and the smell of coffee as you immediately sense the family vibe of the regular customers. For co-owner and real estate developer Majora Carter, communities built after Juneteenth were a part of her goal in creating the cafe. She thinks Juneteenth is a time to reflect on black affluent communities built by former slaves and have communities like the South Bronx emulate that. Former you know, enslaved Americans, you know, and people just one generation out of it built these, you know, incredible places of, you know, of black wealth and business and and pride. There is, I think, an an understanding that we can and should be using opportunities now to reclaim our own communities as those places that we have already and always deserved to be in. Carter says gentrification hasn't helped communities like hers, nor has poverty-level economic maintenance. This is when companies create businesses that have an economic benefit, but don't focus on keeping the community connected. But Carter believes her hip-hop-themed cafe can help create bonds in her neighborhood. We just realized that there's another way to do real estate development. We call it a talent retention. 
a real estate development strategy that really, number one, acknowledges that there's always been talented, amazing people in our community. And if we created the kind of lifestyle infrastructure that we know they're leaving the community to experience, and it could be anything from, you know, good and diverse dining options, you know, to opportunities for, for, for home ownership, or even just housing, rental housing that matches their income. And you know, all good quality housing, but also really it's the kind of places that make them feel like their community is something that they want to stay in. And the cafe has been well received by members of the community. Annie Gomez is a resident of the South Bronx and says the cafe was something the neighborhood needed. We have an abundance of like Chinese stores and bodegas and stuff like that. So this was a change for this particular community. And you get to see more of different personalities and talents and stuff coming here. And you understand that it's more than what people make the South Bronx to be. The cafe hosts open mic nights, workshops on home ownership, all while serving specialty coffees and craft beers to help form community bonds. I'm Christina Lulich, WFUV News. Well, growing up, characters on TV and in film are an important part of how people create their own identities. But for people of color, racist stereotypes and exclusion from Hollywood have played a big role in their formative years. WFUV's David Escobar sits down with Fordham professor Brandy Monk-Payton to talk about the TV industry's shortcomings and plans to fix it. What are some developments that you've recently seen in terms of more black representation on TV? In this current moment, we are in what has been called a Black renaissance in television. There has been this push bringing more folks of color on screen, both in front of and behind the camera. The industry um, is attuned to the viability of Black audiences and Black creative programs. What are some major ways you think that racial depictions have changed on television over time? There was a public reaction to programs like Amos and Andy, a television program with Black actors, a sitcom. And it was divided, but certainly the reaction amongst the NAACP, for instance, was that these programs were stereotypical, meaning they trafficked in negative stereotypes of Black people as bumbling. Um, And in the contemporary moment, there is less of an emphasis on caricature, uh, sort of development of, of, of Blackness on screen. You see characters that are more full, um, Um, and human, right? So they're complicated and they're complex. There was a recent controversy surrounding Moses Ingram, a Black actress in the new Star Wars series who was attacked by fans online. Why do you think Black actors often bear the load of scrutiny for their characters on shows? Toxic fandom is the phrase exists. One of the main sort of touchstones was the Ghostbusters revival. Leslie Jones uh, in particular became the object of ire for um, a ton of fans. And I, you know, for a long time, we sort of understood the default understanding of fandom was through whiteness. But it's still really traumatizing for uh, a Black actor to confront all of this vitriol. What do you hope the industry does going forward to really make sure that other people of color are represented correctly and accurately in media? I think a lot about the summer of 2020, the Black Lives Matter protests and the ways in which the entertainment industry, television especially, um, decided to present 
what they would do in the future in terms of anti-racist work um, in the industry. They called it the racial reckoning. Fast forward two years and not much has actually changed. For example, Netflix uh, most recently decided to fire a lot of Black women. We have to take those kinds of practices seriously and try to think about the ways in which the industry can recruit and retain actors of color, uh, people behind the scenes, whether that be writers or producers or below the line workers, um, like hair and makeup, uh, and and really sort of give these folks um, their credit, give them validation, pay them more. I think that's one sort of material way that the industry um, that I hope can can sort of meet the moment. That was Fordham Conversations host David Escobar speaking with Fordham professor Brandy Monk-Payton about black representation on TV. So much of New York's history is intertwined with black culture. And as WFUV's Madison Colombo reports, one park in the Bronx is taking time to commemorate its history. Before it was a beloved Bronx hotspot, Van Cortlandt Park was a plantation, a fact lost in recent decades. Like many places across New York, that part of its history has long been unknown and ignored. Today, the park is working on uncovering its sordid history and amplifying the voices of the black Africans who lived and died on the land. Stephanie Earlrich is the executive director of Van Cortlandt Park. She says they want to better tell that part of their history. We grew up not knowing that this happened here. Uh, New York City, you know, we thought we're in the North. We're the good guys. We didn't have anything to do with this. And that is entirely untrue. New York City was heavily involved in the slave ecosystem. And so the wealth of our entire country is built on, on slavery. And so for us to remember that, to reflect on it, and, and as Judith said, you know, take this moment and then let's move forward in a positive way. Just last year, during their first Juneteenth event, the park unveiled new signage denoting the African burial ground present on the land. Now, the park is partnering with the Bronx Arts Ensemble, a group that brings free music to the Bronx and schools, to put on its second annual Juneteenth commemoration. The event is meant to be a celebration of black culture and will feature spoken word, music, and other performances. Everything will culminate in a drum procession to the African burial ground, for a ceremony to honor the memory of enslaved people. Judith Insell, executive director of the Bronx Arts Ensemble, says the event acknowledges the impact black culture has had on every facet of life, but especially the arts. The, the intersectionality of the black or African or African-American culture in particular in this country is permeating through everything, music, dance, theater, visual arts, fashion, media, Everything has that African-American, African diaspora footprint on it when it comes to the arts and culture of this country. Incel says events commemorating Juneteenth are vital to reminding the country to reflect on its past, but also to be able to move forward. Juneteenth to me is, has incredible meaning to it. As an African-American person, It's a day that I believe that the whole country is coming to realize that they need to stop and reflect on the ideals that the country was involved in actual slavery.
But she says instead of guilt, the knowledge about the day should be used for progress. You can actually use that knowledge to, to move forward in a positive way, uh, knowing that we have to have equity amongst everybody that lives in this country. And so having the actual day acknowledged is a huge thing for African-American people. I'm Madison Colombo, WFUV News. And thanks for joining me on this special Juneteenth-focused What's What. You can check back tomorrow at 3 o'clock for our regularly scheduled daily podcast and tell your friends so they can find WFUV's What's What at WFUVnews.org and wherever podcasts are found.